Hey, Steve. <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. We're going to talk about the gospel as we always do, starting out. So start, hey, start again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the, foolish, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ who became to us wisdom for God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Such a powerful, powerful section of scripture. And this, it starts out in verse 2, talking about those of us who are being saved. And we've talked before about this idea of progressive sanctification. I mentioned last week that there's three stages of sanctification. There's one that we are saved, we are justified when we're saved, and we're sanctified. But we're also in the process of being saved, as it says here, which is the progressive sanctification. So we're growing, we're learning to be more like Christ. So that's what this starts to it starts out talking about. But then it, it talks about how that the world has all this great wisdom you know, that they they think that they're so wise in verse 21. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So the world has its ideas on how that it can be can be saved, you know, and the, and the way that the that the world has this idea that, you know, everybody's a good person and you really have to mess up. You really have to mess up to go to hell. You know, um, and then we have all these other ideas that says, well, you have to do good things too, though. You have to do more good than you do bad. And so this is the foolishness of the world. That's what every false religion is, is saying we can be saved by our, our own works, by our own actions. 
This is just foolishness, according to this chapter. We cannot do that. But it says that, you know, not any man may boast before God because we can't do it on our own. It's all God's work. It's His power. We can't... Nobody's going to walk around in heaven with their chest pumped out, you know, saying, look at me. Look how good I am. Look how awesome I am. You know, I was smarter and wiser than my neighbor, you know. Nobody's going to be able to do that in heaven because it's God's work. It's God's power that changes our hearts. And we cannot boast in it. But it says in 30, And by His doing, you are in Christ. By God's doing, we are in Jesus Christ. And it's not by our works, as this says, but it's through Christ Jesus who came. And it says that we preach the cross. That's what it's all about, right? It's about the cross, that He became a man. He became truly God. Or He became truly man. He already was truly God. So that he could come and be the second Adam. He could, as Brandon talked about this morning, he accomplished what Adam failed at doing. And he did it for us. He did it, he didn't have to do it, but he did because he loves us. And that's absolutely amazing. And that's the gospel. This is the thing that we always want to start out with and talk about. And we can truly boast in the Lord, as it talks about in the very, in, in the very last verse here in, in 31. We can truly boast in God. We can say how awesome it is that God saved us. How awesome it is that we are a child of God, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because of His great love for us, which is truly amazing. Truly amazing. So we always want to start this out and talk about the gospel because this is the ocean that we swim in. It really is. I love where it says, that you are in Christ Jesus. And it has that, that picture of us just being submerged into Christ, just being engulfed in Him, that our, our whole world is different. Everything is changed in our lives because we are in Christ. We are submerged into His family. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing it is that the gospel is and what we know that He has done for us. It's truly, truly the greatest gift that we've ever, ever even heard about. So now we've talked about the gospel. We always want to start out talking about that. It's, it's impossible, I think, for us to jump into something and deal with, with God and, and who God is and look at His nature and His attributes without having in, in our minds first what it is that He's done for us. So we can have a greater appreciation for Him. We can grow in, um, in, in knowing Him. And why it's so important, because of all that He's given us, right? He's given us everything. And so we want, to, we want to learn everything that we can about Him, because we love Him just as He loves us, because He's given us that love. So, amazing thing. So now, we're going to jump back into our study, and I think we were on page 45, mm -hmm. which we, we missed last week. So, we've been going through... The wills of God, um, we talked about first the decreed will of God, and we talked about how, just as a refresher, uh, we talked about how that the decreed will of God is something that God has decreed and shall come to pass. It's something that is sometimes secretive. God does not reveal this will to us, um, but when it comes to pass, then it can be revealed to us. Sometimes it isn't. But a lot of the times it is. Um, a lot of the times God eventually 
will show us or share to share for us what it is that he has done. And we can see that in, in each person that's sitting here. There's a moment in time whenever God saved us. And, re, and now we, it's revealed that we are believers. We're all sitting in this room together. And so that was revealed. That was uh, part of his plan. And then we talked about the perceptive will of God. The perceptive will of God, as a reminder, is this right here. It's the things that God has written in his word for us to be able to perceive it's his law, it's the things that he's made known to us so that we can grow and learn, uh, walk in that progressive sanctification that we've been talking about a little bit, and, uh, and be more and more like Jesus. So that's what the perceptive will of God, this is what God's will is for our lives. And that's, that's kind of where we've been going with this, is how does God communicate to us today? How does God share with us uh, what he wants us to do and what his will is for our lives? And so the perceptive will of God is that um, the way that he speaks to us and, and, and shows us and shares with us what his will is for us. And we also talked about the passive will of God, which talks about, um, we talked about how that God has to ordain anything that happens or it could not happen, right? Because there's nothing that is outside of God's control or God would not be God, right? But God is God, so there is nothing outside of his in control. So in a certain sense, he has to be passive in allowing us to sin. Um, he doesn't cause us to sin. He's not the author of sin. But he sometimes sets steps back and he allows it, right? That's his passive will. He could stop our heart. He could, he could kill us. He could vaporize us in an instant. He could speak a word and we would be gone. But he doesn't. So in that way, in that sense, he has to be passive in allowing us to sin, right? And so, and that's an amazing thing. We talked a few um, weeks ago about even as a believer, even when we become a Christian, that it really is God's mercy and it's his love that he doesn't expose to us all of our sins at the same time. Can you imagine, like, the day that you got saved, that God put all of the weight of your sins on your shoulder and, and brought everything into your mind all at the same time? Everything, that you, the, every sin that you've done and all the sins that you're continuing to do, it would be something that would be unbearable. So what God does is he, He's passive, even, at, even for us as believers, in that he'll, he allows us to deal with one thing at a time, right? He, there's certain things, if you think back, whenever you were first saved, that, that God really dealt with you about. And then it seems like that once you got that kind of squared, you know, you may not be perfect, but you're, you're doing better, then God kind of exposes another sin in your life and gives you something else to work on, right? And this is just a chain reaction. It happens until the day we die. Um, it doesn't matter how long that we're a Christian. God's always going to be giving us something because we're not perfect. We cannot be perfect. There's only one that was perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. Right? So that's, um, that's talking about the passive will of God and how that he allows, and, and it's loving that he does this, and it's kind that he has patience with us. He has such great, I mean, he has great patience with me. There's so many times that I'm like, oh, man. I messed up. I, God's fixing to take me out. <laughs> but he doesn't. He, he doesn't because he loves us and he's patient with us. So, so yeah, we've been talking a little bit about how does God communicate with us uh, today. And we've been talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. 
the canon of Scripture is closed. That's something that we get from Revelation 22:18, that this is um, a closed canon. That God, there's nothing, there's no other information that God's going to be adding to this. And so that's why that uh, there's some dangerous movements out there today, and a lot of mysticism. Mysticism has kind of gotten out of control. It all comes really from the New Age movement. Um, and I have some other theories, too. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to you about personally. I probably won't talk about in a classroom setting, but uh, about where some of this stuff comes from. But uh, it's all mysticism um, in, in how that God um, talks to us in, in, in various ways. But we know that we can't go wrong with this. This is the, the way that Jesus has he came and, and he died for us the gospels in this book and everything that god wants us to know is in this book right here so we're going to be talking later so i don't want you guys to to misinterpret what i'm saying later we're going to be talking about god's um providence god's providence that's going to be a few chapters from now we're going to get into that but it, it ties in with the wills of god um, because the providence of God is the way that we know that when we become a Christian that the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us. And He, through God's providence, moves us to do certain things. Right. So each one of us has been given a gift. And when the Holy Spirit indwells us, those gifts start to want to come out. And that's why the people become pastors. That's why the people become teachers or clean bathroom floors or makes coffee. You know, the Holy Spirit moves us through God's providence into action and to doing these things, okay? That's a, another whole topic, a whole chapter that we're going to get to and we're going to cover later on. And it's, it's pretty cool when we start seeing how all this kind of comes together. And uh, as I was thinking about this study and, and kind of where we were at, um, I was reminded of when I was first becoming an electrician when I become an apprentice. I was probably 18 years old, 18 or I was at the time uh, that this happened and I was working for my first electrical company. And you know when you're the new guy, they 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 put you with sometimes the the people that nobody else wants to work with. <laughs> you guys ever experienced that? So I got stuck with um with this journeyman who was an alcoholic. Um, and he 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 um, he loved tobacco, and he was nasty, and his truck stank. I mean, it stank bad. I mean, there's half-eaten sandwiches on the dash, and tobacco, and tobacco running down the sides. I mean, people did not want to work with this guy, right? <clears throat> so this is the guy that I get stuck with. But you know, he he said something to me one time, and and it and it made me realize something. It made me realize, one, I can learn something from even an alcoholic and a guy like this. I was, I was working on something one day, and, um, and I'll never forget this. I was getting frustrated. I was getting, I was getting mad because I didn't really know what I was doing. I, it was my first year as an electrician. I couldn't figure something out. And he could see me over there struggling with it. And so his name was John. So John walks up to me, and he goes, Michael. He said, I want you to stop. He said, you see that door over there? He said, if you get angry or mad like that again, he said, I want you to walk out that door. He said, then you see that door over there? He said, I want you to walk back in that one. And that's all he said. 
And I was like, what? What's he talking about, you know? But that was one of the wisest things anybody ever told me because I actually did that. I, I started getting aggravated again. And I was looking at what I was trying to figure something out, and I couldn't figure it out. And so I, I did what John said. I walked out the door. I walked around the building. I walked in the other side. And I walked up, and I looked at it. And it was almost like I was seeing it from a different perspective, right? I, I was so focused on one thing that I couldn't see um, another way of viewing things, you know? And I think that sometimes we do that. We get so focused on the way that we think that things should be, sometimes it's good to walk out that door and walk back in that door and see things from a different perspective. And that's, uh, that's something that's always stuck with me. So uh, I learned something from old drunk guy. That was great. I, I learned that I can learn from anybody. And that's, that's something that's, that's really good to, to be able to do is to, to see a learning opportunity in everything. And so I bring that up because we have been kind of looking at some different perspectives at the way that scripture's viewed and it's always good to see things um, from the other side sometimes and so um, I've got a question here on page 45 and this is a hard question and probably the toughest question that we can can ever deal with down at the bottom of the page 45 it says how can we get past a person's experience if a person's experience is not biblical. Has anybody got any any comments or thoughts on that? This is so difficult, and this is the thing that people run into again and again because we see, we have these experiences in life, and we say, "Oh, my experience was real." You don't you tell me that my experience wasn't. And so now we're dealing with with people's experience instead of dealing with this book, right? So any 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 comments or thoughts? Has anybody ever dealt with anything like that? Well, you can't always is the easy answer. Yeah. But I think when you can, it's because you've, in my experience, and it's my personality probably, but I need to develop a relationship with somebody yeah. before they care what I say or what I think. Yeah. If that's in place, you know, I probably validate first and say, you know, I can see that that seems very real to you and it was a very powerful experience that you went through. Have you thought about, and then maybe I'd give them a couple of passages if they're believers, a couple of passages of scripture to look at, and let's talk again. Yeah. So, you know, kind of opening the door, it's hard for me to imagine somebody saying, no, I won't look right. at the Bible if you approach it, kind of like Proverbs talks about with a gentle, you know, approach right but sometimes people's experiences uh, are what they latch on to and if they're determined that that's their compass you're not going to change it but the holy spirit might over time yeah 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 that's right one of the uh, things that i read is is again if you're dealing with a christian is asking well does it edify does it point to, to Jesus? Does it point to the Bible? And, um, and yeah, so does it point to Jesus? And, and is it in accordance to Scripture? Yeah, yeah. Because if, no matter how real it is, if they cannot get that out of it, 
of their experience, then that should tell them that uh, they've been influenced by wrong, by wrong, by wrong spirit. Yeah. Some some uh, friends of mine have a they have a private prayer language, and the thing that they base that on is that they feel edified. So again, it's a feeling. You know. Yeah. So yeah. The question is, who's being edified? Yeah. Right. Who's being edified? Because yeah, I mean, you know, somebody can feel good, mm -hmm. but I mean, how is it? How has it changed their life? How has it drawn them closer to God? Yeah. I mean, what are they really getting out of it? I mean, like. What's the fruit not, of it? So yeah, the fruit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you know, and I, I'm not criticizing anybody, but those who speak in learned <coughs> tongues. I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, where they have to be taught how to speak this strange language. How is that edifying them? If, if it's, they have to learn it. It's obviously not from the Spirit. Because um, the Spirit gives you understanding. Not that I believe in, in a strange language anyway. But, uh, but for those who, who do feel that's from God, yeah. that's the thing I would say. Yeah. Who are you edifying? Who's getting anything out of this? Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I think that's a great point, yeah. Because we know that we live to glorify God. That's why we live. And so everything that we do, everything that we say should be pointing to Christ, should be pointing to glorifying Him and not ourselves. And so whenever that's, it gets, it gets dangerous sometimes because what happens is people's experience will override this. And they'll say, well, I know it doesn't say that in the Bible, but... I had this experience, and my experience was real. And try to try to talk somebody into saying that their experience wasn't real, that you can't. I mean, like just like Steve said, only the Holy Spirit can do that. So all that we can do is point them to Scripture and try to help them and pray for them. Um, and because if you start looking at world religions, everybody has experiences. It doesn't matter what religion you're in. Buddhists. They have experiences. Go, have you ever watched a Hindu service? Yeah, they have experiences. Um, they speak in tongues. They roll around on the floor. They convulse. They do. They do the same things. Um, so it, it, we have to look at Scripture, and we have to say, what is found in Scripture? And th this canon is closed. And so, if there's something that that somebody, an experience that somebody's telling me that's outside of what this book says, then I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And if, it's, and if it aligns with this book, well then what was the purpose of it? Because it's already in this book, right? So that's, that's something that we always have to, to think about and consider um, because everybody claims that they have experiences no matter who, who you're in, who, who, no matter what religion you're in. So this is, this is what boxes in that, right? Because the canon is closed and this book is sufficient for everything that we need to know. And so we've been kind of going through and talking about that. Over on page 46, um, I've got a little bit, to, a little bit in, in here. It says, the first point, the controversy between continuationism versus cessationism boils down to whether or not the Bible is sufficient. If the Bible is sufficient, we, we need no continued revelation. If the Bible isn't sufficient, we need to be adding pages from everyone who receives revelation 
from God because God's truth is timeless and for generation to generation. So, in other words, people who don't hold to the sufficiency of Scripture to a closed canon says that this right here is irrelevant. That this this verse is irrelevant, right? Uh, that we can continue. Um, that God forgot to put some stuff in here, and so He uh, He 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 chose certain people to add information that we didn't know, that we didn't know into this book. Um, and so, technically, that's Gnosticism, by the way, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later because Gnosticism is a is a secret knowledge, right? That's what Gnosticism is, is a knowledge that nobody else knows, but somehow God revealed to you. So now you know what not, not everybody else knows. So you're kind of, uh, you know, you got, you, got a, you got a star from God, where other people didn't, right? So I've, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask, too, is, you know, what are some of the things that, that people believe, Christians believe, that's commonly taught that's not in the Bible? And that's just a, a just a general general question. I know there's a lot. You guys hear cliches and you hear things all the time from Christians who mean well, but they just they've heard these phrases, other Christians say them, and so it's become scripture to them, and they think it's in the Bible, but it's not. What is some of the, anything? Does anything come to mind when I say that? God will give you more than you can handle. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. God won't give you more than you can handle. That comes from 1 Corinthians 10:13, where they distort it. They distort the the verses, and they try to they try to uh, to turn it into something that it's that it's not saying. But yeah. God will give you more than you can handle, and that's the purpose, right? That's what Christianity is about, because we have to learn as believers that we are weak. We cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We cannot do it. Just like Brandon talked about, which was an awesome message today. Mm -hmm. God is always the hero. He is. We cannot do it ourselves. God will give us more than we can handle, and we learn that we're weak creatures. But we have a powerful and strong God that we can lean on and that we can trust in, and we can believe that He's good, and no matter what we're facing in life, we know that it's going to be a good outcome because we're Christians, because He loves us, right? So that is a good one. Is there any other ones that, that, that pops out? Anybody heard any other ones? There's some goofy ones. Like um, three three wise men. Bible doesn't say that there are three wise men, but we teach that there's three wise men, and in all the dramas and stuff, there's three wise men. <laughs> but there's nowhere in Scripture that says there's three wise men, right? There was just there was wise men, right? So that's one that kind of that sticks out. One of them is. Um, You've probably heard cleanliness is next to godliness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. any, anybody think of any others? That reminds me of God helps those who help themselves. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's not a verse. That's not a verse. But we hear people say that and quote it like it is a verse. And so people... 
people believe that and they think it's in the Bible. And then when they start looking for it, they're like, what? It's not there. It's not in the Bible. So one of the, the reasons I bring this up is because of my next point here. The next point says, there's no place in Scripture that teaches that God speaks to us in a still small voice. That's something that is so widely taught today, that God speaks to you in a still small voice. And I, I'm, I'm doing this to point back to say this is the way that God speaks to us. There's no verse in the Bible that says that God speaks to us in a still small voice. And so I've got a verse here um, in Luke, several verses, Luke 11, 1 through 13. And I have this in here because Jesus here is, is giving us instructions on how to communicate with God, right? How do we communicate to God? How do we pray? You know, what does this look like? And so if ever there was a time, ever, in Scripture, if there was ever a time to teach that God speaks to you in a still, small voice, it would be right here. And it's not. So I'm going to read it. Luke 11, 1 through 13 says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. God, you are holy, is what he's saying. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation then he said to them suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him and from inside he answers and says do not bother me the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son or uh, for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if, or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, this is how that that Jesus is teaching us and teaching His disciples how to pray and and what that looks like. Um, there's there's no mention here of a still small voice, and there's not anywhere in Scripture. But it does come from First Kings. 1912 and so I want to read this this is where the teaching of the still small voice comes from just so we can get context because what's the most important thing to scripture context right context 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 that's so important so let's read the context and see what's going on here so first Kings 1912 and this is the King James Version because it's only in the King James Version that this is found it's not in any other version of the Bible it's only King James 
So I may have a hard time reading this. <laughs> it says, He who said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, here it is, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, when he heard it, then he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the in, in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, "What dost thou, what dost thou hear, Elijah?" So the next question here says, "Was this still small voice something internal or something external?" He heard it. He heard it. It was external. It was a literal, audible voice. It wasn't some in, inward drawing or inward motion or something inwardly speaking. This was a voice, something external that he heard. So that's where the, this teaching comes from. That's the only place it's mentioned, and it's only mentioned in the, in the King James Version. So we can see it is taken out of context whenever that people say, oh, God speaks to you in a still small voice. This uh, is, there's also something that we need to understand when we're studying scripture, and that's things that are prescriptive and things that are descriptive. There's prescriptive texts and there's descriptive texts, right? So there's a lot of texts that describes what has happened. Here we have a prophet of God. And, God, and this is describing that God spoke to this prophet in an audible voice. And so Elijah heard this, and he did what God told him to do. And this is the thing that we see. This isn't prescriptive. This isn't where God says, this is what's going to happen to you, right? If it was something that it says, this is what's going to happen to you, then it would be drawn out in other contexts and other verses and things like that, but it's not. That's how that we can always tell when something's descriptive, you know, like God doesn't tell us to take our sons up on Mount Sinai and take a knife and, you know, plunge it into our kids, right? That's something that is descriptive, not prescriptive. So we can always tell the difference. And this, this here is a descriptive text. So that's something that we should always be thinking. And Brandon did an awesome job this morning of showing how that all of these things point to Christ anyway, right? These are all the descriptive things are all pointing to Jesus and that's that's the hero of the story all the time in scripture so um, and then the next question is, here says what about John 10 so I just want to kind of talk about some of these things because these these are some of the verses I grew up in the charismatic movement I'm very familiar with some of these things um, this is another one John 10:27. my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me so um, uh, the next question here says, what are the three most important rules of the Bible interpretation? I've already named them context, context, context. Three, I say context, context, context. That's the most important thing. So we're always going to take a verse and say, well, what's the context? What, what, what is Jesus talking about here when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Well, let's look at it. John 10, 26 through 29. And, and think about this context. I got some of it underlined. It says, but 
do you not believe? Do you think that's the context here? But do you not believe because you are not of my sheep? Right? This is talking about salvation. This is talking about the difference between Christians and non-Christians. This is talking about salvation. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So what's the context of this verse here? <coughs> we always have to look at the context. It, the context isn't the way that God communicates. What's the, what's the context? It's salvation, right? Salvation. This is talking about the internal or effectual calling is what we call it. Effectual calling. Internal calling of God. Because that's how that we're saved, right? The Holy Spirit compels us. We hear His voice when we hear the Gospel. And we respond. We're responsive to the Gospel. That's what this is. That's what this is talking about, is salvation. Like so. in First Kings, I think it's, it's interesting. Is God is, is telling us about Himself and how He deals with us. He, he's not one who shouts who you know, makes a big show of things to, to teach us. You know, he wants us to, you know, to listen to him, even in the midst of all the troubles and that. That's yeah. why I think that's why he's this still so small voice, is that, do you hear me in the midst of everything that's going on? Yeah. Yeah, and it reveals who he is, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so, when, when we're talking about... Um, the gospel, uh, there's some theological terms that we throw around out there. One's called the external call of God, and one's called the internal call of God. Um, the external call of God is, is the, the, the gospel proclaimed. It's, it's what we say, it's what we proclaim as believers. We scream it from the rooftops. If we're, you know, we, that's what we do as Christians, uh, is we tell people the gospel. That's an external call. We're calling people to repentance. We're telling people about Jesus. We're telling people how to be right with God. We're calling them externally. And then what happens? Then there's an internal call. And that's what this is talking about. That's the Holy Spirit that comes in to them whenever for the for it's happened to each one of us. There's probably time in in every one of our lives that we heard the gospel again and again and again. But there was one specific time that we heard it and it was boom. It clicked. That's. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard the gospel. M most of my most of my childhood. I mean, I grew up in a pastor's home. I don't think I was saved till I was in my 30s. I went to church every Sunday. I was in my 30s before I became a Christian. I heard the gospel almost every Sunday. I heard that external call, but there was a moment in time when that internal call, the Holy Spirit, came into me, and I heard God's voice. I heard Jesus's voice, and I responded become a Christian. That's what this is talking about. The difference between internal and external call of God, or effectual calling, we call it. So that's, uh, that's what this is talking about. So I've got a, um, a quote here from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. We've already read some out of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, but this is talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it real quick, because uh, I think it's pretty good. So this says, the Holy Scripture 
is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of a uh, rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light, well, I did some typos in there. Although the light be of nature, and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexhaustible. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners and to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world to commit the same holy unto writing which maketh the holy scripture to be most necessary those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people now being now ceased so this is talking about um, how we've been going through cessationism versus continuationism a little bit, and he's saying here that these there are some former ways that God communicated to 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 uh, to to mankind, and there was a certain reason. That's because Scripture wasn't completed, and so now the Bible is sufficient. It's the only thing that is infallible and sufficient. This is the thing that we have to rely on. We can't just rely on our experiences because everybody has experiences. Um, everybody has different types of experiences, but we have to look at Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? And what, what, is, what lines up with Scripture? So I've got a, a, the last point on this page says, the number one reason to believe cessationism is that the Bible is sufficient. Let's look at the second reason. So if you remember back talking about cessationism versus continuationism real quick, Cessationism um, believes this, that the canon of Scripture is closed, that the Bible is sufficient, and that God is still God. God still does amazing things. He still heals people. Um, we believe that if, um, if there is a, an instance in a, in a foreign land where there's a language barrier and the gospel cannot be properly proclaimed, that God can, and very... I mean, he's God, so he can do whatever he wants. He, he can he can cause someone to speak in a known language to be able to communicate the gospel into other languages. So cessationism doesn't box in God, but what it does is it doesn't just leave things loose to where you can go outside of Scripture and everybody can have their own experience and believe things that are not in Scripture. All right? So that's kind of, it's it creates this kind of box. Like I said, this is something that you don't have to, uh, we don't all have to agree on. Uh, we can disagree on, and we're still okay. Because this is a, a mixed church, and we have different people from different backgrounds. And everybody's in a different walk. So, and we've all, we're on a, in a different place in our, in our growth. So, um, so that a sign here on uh, the, um, on the question on page 48 that I have here says, what were the sign gifts for? Now, we made a distinction last week between sign gifts and gifts uh, of the Spirit that we that we know that is for everyone. And we've already mentioned some of that stuff. Um, today, we know that some people are called to preaching. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of administration. Some people 
you know, some people have multiple gifts, music. Um, there's many gifts that God gives us, and the Holy Spirit, through His providence, propels us and pushes us, gives us that desire to want to do these things because we're all a part of the body of Christ. And so we all want to be a part of what it is that God's called us to do, right? But there's certain gifts that's called the sign gifts um, that we believe has been done away with. And so we say, well, what is the sign gifts for? What were they for? Does anybody have any, any comments on that? On why do you think... If you, if you look at Scripture, there was really only three major times when we saw signs and miracles in the Bible. Um, we saw them uh, with, with Noah. Um, well, we saw the destruction of the world and all these things, but with Mo and then Moses was really where we started seeing a lot of miracles, and it was really the first time that we saw that in Scripture, other than the the judgments of God, which would be considered miracles too, like Noah. Um, but we saw these amazing things that happens with Moses, and then after that, we didn't really see anything until Elijah. And we read some stuff about Elijah. Elijah and Elijah, uh, they were major prophets. We saw miracles and things. And then they pretty, we just pretty much didn't hear of any other miracles. We saw some stuff like the walls of Jericho and stuff, you know, that was also God's judgment. But as far as these prophets doing these amazing things, like Moses and Elijah and Elisha, um, we don't see that again until Christ, right? So that tells us, well, what were these for? Why? Were there signs that were in three particular places in Scripture? Has anybody got any? What's the sign point to, first of all? Christ. Yeah. Always points to Jesus. So it goes back to that, what we've talked about earlier, is who's being glorified, who's being edified. Um, and so we know that we don't want to be edified. We want to disappear you know, that's, that's the goal of any good pastor, is to proclaim the truth of God and let the word of God hit the audience and him just to disappear into the background. You know, because a pastor or a good teacher wants God to be big and awesome and amazing. The pastor doesn't want that. If you talk to Brandon, if you guys get to know Brandon, he... he tries to humiliate himself on a regular basis <laughs> and he does that for a reason he doesn't want anybody to think that he's some something special he, he's just a servant of God and he knows that mm -hmm. and it's so easy for us to to look at people th that are teaching us as though they're mighty men of God and all these things and Brandon does the right thing I think mm -hmm. by trying to say hey I'm scared of spiders you know, I squeal like a little girl. And, you know, he says things like that all the time. You know, talking about, he just tries to... I'm a bull in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. And in the Old Testament, I mean, we know they didn't have the written word. And um, there, the people had so many gods and goddesses. Um, I think one of the reasons that God performed the miracles he did is to prove to the people the mm. futility of what they believed. That there was some 
one more powerful than everything that they believed in and put their, you know, put stock in. And so there needed to be that outward indication of that. Um, now we have the word, we have, mm -hmm. you know, history. And so, you know, for places who don't have the word, who, who are steeped in sort of like those pagan beliefs of the past, mm -hmm. for them, maybe then, them seeing something like that can be important. Yeah. But it, you know, not, yeah. people just go around doing that all the time. Yeah. That's, that's not glorifying God. No. No, that's a good point. We, when you look at it, there is... God, what He does is He gives... Um, he gives authority to certain people, such as Moses and Elijah and Jesus and the apostles, by authenticating their message through signs and wonders, right? That's the reason that, that there was these huge signs and wonders and amazing miracles that were happening in these three specific times in Scripture. Uh, God was establishing the prophets. He was establishing the law with Moses. And he was saying, you know, how do you know that this man named Moses is the one that we should be listening to? Because there's other guys over here that's given us other laws. There's a prophet down the road down here, Prophet Bob, and he's telling me something different. And you got, you know, all these prophets out here. Well, how are you going to know? How do you know who is saying the thing that God wants us to hear? Well, God authenticates the message by these amazing and wonderful things. And so he, authentic he authenticated the law with Moses. Elijah, he authenticated the prophets. Um, listen to this man. He's speaking for me. He can... He can send fire down from heaven and, can, and consume, the, consume the prophets of Baal or 50 soldiers that come to arrest him. We see all these things that happens uh, that's amazing miracles. And so we know this is a man of God. We need to listen to what he says. Same thing with Jesus, right? Whenever Jesus comes, because there, was no, there wasn't anything recorded in Scripture as far as miracles until Christ from that time. And then Christ comes and all of a sudden all these signs and miracles and things are boom, everywhere, because they're authenticating what it is that Jesus says. And not only that, but the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so these things are authenticating the apostles, because Jesus ascends back to the Father. We know he's God, but he leaves these men to proclaim his word and to write this book. There's other men writing books. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of books that was written during that time. How do you know? How do you know who who to believe? Well, God authenticates them by these amazing, amazing things that they're able to do until the scriptures until the canon of scriptures closed. That's why that things are not like they were. You know, um, you don't have people jumping out of their graves and you know running around today. Um, and Back then, it was it was something that uh, seemed pretty common with with some of the the things that were happening with apostles and stuff. And there's many many things, many examples. But I've got a scripture here from Ephesians two, Ephesians two nineteen through twenty says, "So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built." This is going to be our our point. Having been built, you can underline that, on the foundation, you can circle that, of the apostles and prophets. Okay? 
So something was being built. There's a foundation. Apostles and prophets. Then it says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So I got a question here. It says, how many times do you lay a foundation of the building? So if there's, a, if there's these signs and there's these things that's happening with the prophets and the apostles, and what, what are they doing? They're building a foundation. What happens after a foundation? Something's built on top of it, right? You don't tear the foundation out and start all over again. You don't take a jackhammer and bust out a foundation. That's what all these things were for, right? To build this foundation under what the prophet said, what the apostles said, so, and what Christ said, because Christ is the cornerstone. So I've got some points, and I'm just going to read them because we're almost out of time. So it says, if all, of you, if, if all you do is lay a foundation, then lay another foundation on top of that, then lay a foundation on, on top of that, and so on and so forth, the building will never progress to being built. Okay? The apostles were given these gifts until the foundation of the church was built, which is the Bible. This one foundation was given to the church, laid by the apostles through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the church to be built on. There will never be another foundation placed on the building. God did not forget to tell us something and assign new apostles to give us this, informa this information today. The foundation was established 2,000 years ago, and it was a perfect foundation to be built the church of, of Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 2... 3 through 4 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So here we can see that there's three, three grip, groups of people. There's three groups of people. There's Jesus, or the Lord. There's the apostles, or those who heard. And then there's everyone else. That's us. Okay, That's the three group, groups of people that we see in this verse. Either Jesus, apostles, or everybody else. Apostles are dead. Right? They are, they're all dead. So all that's left is us. Okay? So this is dealing with the signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts by the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a verse that kind of bothers me a little bit because I always, I always thought that Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you guys ever think about that, but I mean the way that Hebrews is written, it it, it sounds like Paul. But here we can see he says he's putting himself outside of apostles because he says it was confirmed to us. He's putting himself as one of us, not as an apostle. And he's a scripture writer. Right? So he's putting himself in the category of non-apostle, which is what we are. Um, so this breaks my heart that Paul didn't write this. I still think that Paul maybe oversaw a scribe or somebody writing it. 
but I don't know. Uh, there's no argument. There's there's tons of debate on who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know. We don't know. I'm I still root for Paul. I don't. I, I can see right here. Paul did not write it, but um, but maybe he oversaw it. I don't know. <laughs> so, it's a big debate. So, um, but he's putting whoever wrote the the book of Hebrews is putting himself outside the realm of apostle. Yeah, he's putting himself outside the realm of apostle. Um, God, I'm going to read some more. God testified with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And we can see that. The writer of Hebrews does not include himself as one one who performed signs and wonders and gifts. He places those gifts on the ones who had laid the foundation, the apostles. He also speaks as if these were past tense. These are past tense things. There is no mention of miraculous gifts after the year 57 or 58 AD. The sign gifts were the strongest during the ministry of Christ. There was an explosion of them at Pente- with Pentecost, but they seemed to fade away as the po- to the point that they were, were no longer mentioned by Scripture in books written after 57 or 58 AD other than Revelation, where we see them return just before the second coming of Christ as a witness to him. So again, we start seeing miracles in the book of Revelation. Um, we're gonna, we, start see, we start reading of these am- amazing things, the two witnesses that come and are able to breathe fire and all these things. And so once again, we start seeing miracles and signs that's all pointing again to Christ. Because that's what everybody's doing. It's saying, look, it's almost over. We're at the end of time. Jesus is about to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to be coming to judge. He's going to come back riding on that white horse. And so, repent. Repent. And get right with God. So that's what, that's what happens. So what, that's what we see in the book of Revelation. So now if a foundation of a building is laid, what happens next? The building progresses to completion. And that's where the book of Revelation happens, right? If we were halfway building a building that was laid on a perfect foundation, what would happen if we quit building the building and regressed to busting up the foundation to pour it again? So that's just a question. So we would, what would happen is we would be going backward. We would be not, not going forward, but backward, right? So um, we would be going from something that's maturing and growing back into something that's premature, something that's elementary. That's what a foundation is. So there's, you know, some people that's on the borderline between continuationism and cessationism because they believe that they're allowing for some greater um, work of God, something something that's greater. They, They say, well, I'm allowing for these things to happen. Whenever, in reality, what they're doing is they're returning back to something elementary. They're, they're turning back to, to the foundation, the first thing that's done, rather than the progression of the building, right? We already have the foundation, so what we're supposed to do is build upon that. We're supposed to be maturing as, as Christians. We're, we're supposed to be maturing as the church, and we've seen that happen throughout church history, especially when we get to the Reformation. Huge, huge revivals, like never before, never seen in the history of the world. Millions of people getting saved during this time. Of course, the Bible also tells us that there's a time that that the church is going to start falling away just before Christ comes back. 
So um, we know that, that those are the times that we're in today. We know that the church, as overall, of course when I say the church, I'm not talking about our church, right? I'm talking about as a whole. Yeah, as a whole. Um, it's, it's, it's not like it used to be, right? We're starting to allow things into the church that we know is wrong, that we know uh, we're, we're trying to be, we're, tr- we're trying now to, to look acceptable to the world, uh, to, to be more like them, to assimilate with the culture. Um, the Bible warns us of that. It tells us that that's what's going to happen. But that's where we're at, I think. Uh, I've got a quote here from Burke Parsons, who's a, a really good theologian. He says, To desire to want to see signs and wonders exhibited is not a greater experience, but a lesser experience. You're going back to the foundation. You're going back to the servant rather than the ultimate authority, the word of God, which all the signs and wonders attest to. To want them and to desire them is devaluating the the word of God. So what he's saying here is why do we want to go back to things that just point to this book, you know, we already have it. We already have the Word of God. I've got friends that uh, they were in the they're in the charismatic movement, and they they said, "Well, I didn't believe in God until I started seeing these amazing, wonderful gifts and signs, and now I believe in God because I I have my experience, you know." And so their experience is is based on something that is um, isn't real and it's really a, a sign of disbelief if you have to have signs and wonders in order to believe in God that's a, that's really a sign of disbelief and it talks about this uh, and I, I know we're out of time but this is I just wanted to get through this real quick it says in John 20 27 through 29 it says Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? And then he says here, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed, did not see and yet believed. So we got some more stuff we're going to talk about just to kind of finish off this point next week. We're just out of time. I was hoping to get through more of it. I hate to just leave everybody hanging kind of right here in the middle of this, but that's just where we're at. So my apologies. Um, but any, any last comments or quotes? I know we've kind of moved fast. I was trying to get, I'm trying to get, I got probably one more day in the wills of God, and then we're going to jump into the omnipresence of God. Um, but the, the, the point here is how does God speak to us today? How do we know the will of God for our lives? That's why we're going through all this and talking about it. And we know that this is how God speaks to us. And we can't rely on experiences and stuff like that because you can have that in any cult, mm-hmm. every cult. So next time, um, could we kind of touch on, someone was telling me about a member of the family who died and they came back to life. I saw, I saw Christ, I saw the angels, and that's a common thing in recent years, Yeah. and how that ties into what we're talking about tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we can talk about that. Absolutely.